For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Hello, hello. It is the Fertility Life Raft podcast with me, Alice Rose. I am your mindset mentor, your transformative coach, your fertility cheerleader in all areas. Um, I am so pleased to finally be talking about sex properly on this podcast. it's It's been a long time coming. So my guest today is Kate Moyle. She is the therapist on the BBC Three series Sex on the Couch, host of the Sexual Wellness Sessions podcast and director at the Thought House Partnership, a private therapy practice for psychosexual and relationship therapy. Accredited by the College of Sexual and Relationship Therapists, a registered psychosexual and relationship therapist and a certified psychosexologist, I think it's safe to say she knows what she's talking about. Before I even start, I highly recommend you sign up for my emails this week because there were more questions for Kate which came through after I recorded this conversation and I sent them through to her and quite cheekily asked if she'd give me even more of her valuable time on your behalf and she very, very kindly agreed to answer them through the magical medium of email. So I will be sending out a bonus sex email this week, (laughs) as well as all my usual compassionate, transformative fertility sport like no other good stuff. So if you don't get my emails already, you can download a free five-minute meditation and be added to my list. Just go to fertilityliferaft.com forward slash reset. That's fertilityliferaft.com forward slash reset. I'll also pop the link in the show notes. And you know what? While you're doing that, why not pop over to Apple or Spotify right now and slot in a little rating or review for this podcast because I think it will make you feel really happy inside because you'll know how much I appreciate it, which would be a lot. I really, really, really do appreciate every single rating, review, everything that you can do to help more people find this podcast and support. My work is hugely appreciated and I really think that there are just so many more people out there who really do need these conversations, truly, truly. So let's help them find it. Um, And you can really play your part in that by doing this little good deed for the day. Um, Right. Okay. Enough of that. 
let's talk about sex. Hello, Kate Moyle. It is so brilliant to have you on Fertility Life Raft. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. Um, so I'm going to go straight in there. <laughs> this is a subject, so sex and relationships and trying to conceive. For a long time, I was like a proper prude and just didn't know how to bring up this topic. Like, even though I've been talking about fertility for the last six years publicly, sex has been something that I've 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 sort of not really properly covered. And <laughs> I don't I it's really weird. I always have this disconnect between talking about fertility really openly and like my husband's been on like five live talking about, you know, going for sperm tests and we we but me personally bringing it into the work that I do is for some reason just still not really made it onto the onto the main stuff, which is just crazy because it's such a huge, huge part of all of it. So I'm really grateful that you're coming in here to help me bring this topic and this really important topic to the people that listen to this this podcast and the people that are in, you know, in my membership. So so thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's so funny because we we ask so many intrusive questions around fertility, infertility, pregnancy, childbirth, and then we don't like to talk about sex, which for lots of people is, you know, how they conceived in the first place. What is that? Why don't we know <laughs> about sex? It's such a big part of our lives, not talking about sex. I think there's part of it is really historical and that it's rooted in all these kind of narratives about, you know, like good sex, bad sex, the right type of sex, you know, what was allowed sex. And then we just haven't caught up. We don't know how to normalize these conversations that sex education, you know, in, in its most basic form is, is not good enough. And then we have this completely polarized opposite end of the scale, which is the Hollywood movie version of sex that we all see and have access to. And, you know, the internet can offer us sex in under a second, but there's these then like perfect versions of sex. And what we then think is that we only talk about sex when there's a problem and that leaves everything in between. That's where so many of us get stuck and we're awkward and feel embarrassed about it and ashamed. And therefore we just continue to not talk about it. And all of these things feed into each other. Right. So the what we are brought up with has this huge impact on how we actually approach sex as we get older. And then if you come into the fertility world where there's this humongous other layer to like what sex mm. is, what it means, why you're doing it, what you're supposed to get from it. Um, and then you're just left without the resources that you need in order to actually somehow keep hold of any sense of like wanting to have sex when you're going through mm -hmm. I mean I'm going straight in there with like the big questions <laughs> but I think the main thing that happens for most people certainly myself as well is that sex just becomes really unsexy mostly because you kind of go into it with that kind of right here we go we're going to make a baby now and maybe it starts off being quite fun and then fairly quickly you almost descend into this like, oh no, we have to be doing it when the app says we have to be doing it when I'm in my fertile window, if you know when that is. And so you lose that. And I was listening to your episode that you did with BFN with Emma and Gabby from Big Fat Negative. And she was talking about like looking at her husband, like just a walking penis because you're like, yeah, I just need 
what you've got in there rather than it actually being something that you kind of want to do. Do you see couples in clinic that come to you with this? How can we help here? Totally. And I think that so often people who are approaching psychosexual therapy or relationship therapy, couples therapy, are stuck when it comes to their sex lives because sex, I mean, you said it, it kind of um, changes meaning. When we're trying to conceive, the meaning changes anyway because at the start we might be feeling excited or, you know, there's an anticipation. We're thinking, is it going to be this time? And very quickly it moves from fun to functional. And sex, you know, at its core really is about pleasure and fun and intimacy and connection. And it becomes very quickly routine, scheduled around ovulation, um, preoccupied with the goal or where we think it's going to get to rather than the experience itself. And you don't even have to be someone who is struggling to try and conceive for that to happen. It can just be that you think it's going to happen really quickly or it's taking longer than you thought or it's not as you thought it was going to be. And it's so easy for us to change the meaning of sex because sex is so as, you know, as if not more psychological than it is physical, you know, it's this thing that bridges these different areas of our lives. And it's not just something that we do. Often it's because couples can feel like they're then struggling to get back to how it used to be. They get, they get caught up in the new way of having sex and then to kind of go back or change something in itself feels like quite a daunting task. And it's not just couples, but, you know, individuals or people might just say, you know, I just don't want that anymore. That wasn't something that I enjoyed doing. So how can I move sex into being this fun thing again, when quite honestly, I feel like all the fun was sucked out of it? A lot of the time as well, like when this has happened, people, women particularly have this, well, and men actually, totally and men, have a disconnect between how they feel about their bodies, right? Because it's, you know, in mm. their mind, their bodies are failing them or they're, um, they're not, do it's not doing what it should do. So, so they don't have a positive relationship with their body. So while in theory, we kind of, you know, and even just hearing you be like, it's actually more psychological than, than physical, even that is really helpful to kind of hang on to because it's it almost takes that pressure off like how you feel about your body going into sex so I mean one of the questions that came through and I'm just going to read this out because I really think this is it just kind of all sums it up I want to know about reclaiming sex during infertility it used to be such a fun connecting explorative thing but while we're still in this chapter of trying to conceive it feels like neither of us can get it out of our heads that we're ultimately hoping for a baby each time, even when we initiated it from a for a different reason. So it's that kind of like, even if it starts off like, right, let's connect, let's connect. It kind of creeps in this kind of, oh, yes, but it also might lead to, you know, a result. And she said, we struggle to even allow ourselves a single occasion where we don't hope for it. And so it feels like a lot of repeat failure. And then she also says, I also feel deeply unsexy knowing that my body just isn't capable so far of getting pregnant. I think I really equate fertility with femininity, despite knowing that's not rational and it's knocking my confidence on a really deep level. I mean, that's a lot there and I'm not expecting you to <laughs> come in and sort of fix it. But 
Yeah. What are your thoughts on all of that? No, it's a great question. It totally, it totally, totally links to, I mean, basically the answer that I would have given, which is that so many of our narratives about things like femininity, masculinity are wrapped up in the messages that we're given about like what our bodies should do. And infertility is the perfect example of that. And, you know, the amount of times that you say to people, you know, this is not your fault. This is not anything you did. And, you know, I've experienced miscarriage and infertility um, myself. So, you know, talking to from my own position as a person, as well as a professional, but there's something in the, the meaning that we take from it. And then the association with the feeling that we're failing and it is so potent and that feeling of failing that we then feel ashamed for you know that we should never feel shame for infertility or miscarriage you know this is this is biology which we are out of control of but we do because it's such a part of the human experience and getting back to sex and it wanting to be about pleasure and fun again I mean one of the things that I often say to couples is I want you to do something sexual or be together or be physically intimate with each other at a time which isn't about when you're ovulating at other times of the month which isn't about trying to conceive and taking the pressure of penetrative sex is one way that we can do that so being like enjoy it without the possibility of potential conception because whenever we're having sex around the time we're ovulating or during ovulation obviously the possibility is always there and that's the thing that we then can't get out of our head and it's so hard when we want something so much because it does become all consuming. It does take over everything. We can't help it. And that's the way our minds work. It's unrealistic to think that the thought's not going to pop into our head if we're having sex, but to then be so distracted by it can then interrupt the pleasure or the fun part of the experience that we're actually having. But, you know, also sometimes we have to detach ourselves from what's going on in our bodies just to get through whether it's you know miscarriage or infertility or struggling to conceive or IVF at times your body can feel so medicalized that going through those numerous appointments and you know kind of having your legs in the syrups and being prodded and poked and people talking about you when you're kind of lying there you have to separate yourself a bit in order just to get through that and then sex is about completely bringing everything back together and being fully in the moment. And that's quite a difficult thing for people to navigate as well. So true. I really remember that feeling of like, just like, I just feel like a vessel sitting here, you know, and then you have that almost, you know, the grieving of like how you thought you'd make a baby, which was Mm. supposed to be, you know, all loving and gorgeous. And then the lovely surprise, you know, have obviously the, the dream way of the romantic view. Yeah, exactly. And then it comes into this sort of medicalized version and and the language around it doesn't help you know all of the terminology around fertility and harvesting eggs and all of this business it's just not sexy (laughs) a lot of the terminology is also very depersonalizing and sometimes we need to kind of shut down a bit just to get through it and you know I jokingly used to say that you know my vagina was a bit like Piccadilly Circus at one point and you know that's not fun that's not enjoyable it's not an experience that you want to be fully in and then you kind of get home and you're thinking about having sex you know with your partner or kind of entertaining the idea a few days later and you have to do a complete reversal 
and be fully in it and be enjoying it and being intimate and how can you undo the association of having a different set of hands on you just a few days earlier it's really really hard and I don't think it's something that we talk about enough even just you saying that around like that almost finding some joy finding and and the teeniest bit which is just like my vagina is like Piccadilly Circus because that adds in just a layer of kind of humor and a little bit of lightness into it and that's exactly how I as well. It's like how many people have had a good old look around there and a good old rummage I mean god but to bring in a little bit of as much as we obviously we don't want to do that but it does help in terms of shifting the energy from kind of you know holding on to the resentment that we might feel for having to go down that route I mean if you're holding on to resentment which is totally understandable but that that's not going to support that reclamation of your sex enjoyment and pleasure so what I suppose like ways of processing all of that so that you're able to 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 access some lightness some some joy yeah I think lightness is a really good word because I think resentment and anger are also really normal parts of the process particularly so if it's a heterosexual couple Often the most numerous kind of investigations tend to be on the female partner. Obviously, there are cases where um, men might have azeospermia or sperm difficulties, have to have operations or procedures. But the majority of cases, and particularly if we're um, talking about things like IVF or um, ICSI, that it is the woman's body that is being medicalized the most, is going through the procedures, you know, the blood tests, the scans, the injections, the checks. And I think it's very hard for people in that situation to not feel a level of resentment that one partner has to do the bulk of that for both. And then sex can feel like another thing that we have to do. And it's not, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but I'm saying that's how people often feel and often people report feeling to me. I don't want to do another thing that I don't feel like doing at the moment. I'm doing this whole list of other things Mm. and my life has been turned upside down and then I'm expected to feel sexy. Like that's Mm. just completely at, at loggerheads with my daily life at the moment. So is there a level of kind of acceptance that sometimes that, you know, your sex life will have moments, times, phases where it probably won't be at its best? <laughs> is Absolutely. That yeah, definitely. And, you know, sex lives have good days, bad days, average days anyway. Sex is not a static part of our lives. It's in context. So everything that's happening in our lives affects us sexually. But how we think about sex is that it's this kind of fixed concept in our lives. It doesn't change it shouldn't change and it should always be there and be unaffected it's just such a sterile and unrealistic way of looking at sex it is completely kind of fluid and flexible and anything can impact our sex lives but because again of the lack of the kind of conversation and the normalized conversation around it we don't think about it kind of conceptually that way so we assume that if sex changes that must be a problem that must be bad and more often than not we then assume the problem is us because we don't see other people talking about it and knowing that your sex life might take a hit and often it has to because we know that you know during IVF process and things people are often recommended to not have sex but often I find that what people are saying to me is they can kind of get through with sex intercourse non-penetrative sex not being a part of their lives but what they miss is the physical intimacy the approaches the feeling desired the reaching out for one another 
because what we tend to do is we start to avoid all the things that might lead to sex because we're managing our expectations, managing our partners. We don't want to let our partners down. We don't want to lead them on. We don't want them to think that we're going to have sex and then we have to say we don't want to. So what we do is we cut out the things that used to kind of melt into sex, so kissing or cuddling or kind of snuggling up to each other in bed, making out on the sofa, you know, approaching each other. Those are the things that often couples say that they really miss and then don't know how to get back because it feels like the bigger that gap gets, the longer it's been, the Mm -hmm. the harder it's going to be to bridge. So a part of it, I guess, is is just talking to your partner, isn't it? And just saying like, I'm not coming on to you because I just feel so weird about sex at the moment, but I really miss you. Like, I'm just thinking about my own experience was so we had so much timed intercourse, which is literally the least sexy two words in the history of words, (laughs) but timed intercourse. I mean, it's just horrendous. I mean, you'd think it wouldn't be because it's, you know, oh, having sex on doctor's orders. But it's like, no, 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 it's not at all. It's just not great for your for your relationship, is it? I think the thing that probably got us through was communication, was trying to figure it out together and also hearing, you know, how he was feeling about everything at the same time as trying to manage my own feelings about it. But what, how, how, but people are often really awkward, <laughs> even couples who are, who know each other so well, it can feel so awkward, can't it? What, how, what can we do to get better at that? <laughs> I often say that, you know, an irony is that often the hardest person for us to talk to about sex is the person we're having sex with. And we're not taught how to have these conversations. We think that by nature of having these conversations, that there's something wrong or that we must, there must be a problem or there's something wrong with us. And it feels like we're kind of taught to fear them. And we have these ideas about sex in society in general, which are that if you love me, you'll just know. If we're as great, you know, if our relationship's really good, then we'll just know what each other wants, actually. We'll just know what the other one's thinking. Like, none of us are mind readers, but mind reading is one of the most common mistakes that couples make. And what communication does is it clarifies, and there are no assumptions. It's really hard. And I think if you want to start having those conversations with your partner, just acknowledge, like, oh, this is really hard. I feel a bit awkward about it. Like, how do you feel? You know, established the fact that this isn't your normal doesn't kind of feel very easy because it's likely they're probably feeling the same way. And actually, even that and meeting at that point is a really good thing. And saying, you know, I feel really weird about sex at the moment, or I feel really, you know, detached from my body at the moment, or I feel like, you know, a lot of people describe feeling really let down by their body. Like they don't feel like they can enjoy their body when their body is giving them so much pain. You know, when you've had a miscarriage, you're you want to detach from your body. You can, you know, some people hate their bodies. There can be so much disappointment attached. And sometimes saying to your partner, oh, I just don't trust my body at the moment. I just don't want to engage with my body at the moment. I don't want to feel pleasure. How do I feel like I can make space for pleasure when I'm in a lot of pain, you know, psychologically? and physically like I don't feel like I can enjoy myself at the moment if you can just maintain some level of intimacy even if it's just lying on the bed facing each other just talking or a handhold or sitting next to each other on the sofa rather than positioning yourselves away from each other those moments of connection can be huge and they don't have to be sexual either it's important to say that 
So having the connection first, whether it's sexual or not, is going to be is going to support you in kind of reclaiming that any desire, any interest to want to go back into a more positive relationship with sex. And it doesn't have to go anywhere. You know, these are these are things that are self-contained kind of events. They're valuable in themselves because so often we treat all of those things as a vehicle to sex, as a route to sex, and we place the value on them as the kind of vehicle for where it's going. And actually learning to enjoy those things for what they are, which we do at the start of relationships when we're getting to know someone and then, that, you know, in that what we call honeymoon period without thinking about it. People always say, God, we used to spend hours just making out on the sofa and lying in bed and laughing and we'd sit in the bath and those things that didn't have to go anywhere, but just were valuable because we were getting to know each other. We were like building a relationship, you know, mm. building intimacy, building a connection. We can do that again if we take the pressure off sex and if we take the goal of sex away but it's complicated when we're trying to conceive and when we're struggling with infertility because the link between sex and conception or sex and potential pregnancy cannot be forgotten do you know something that you said there made me think because I thought um you know how often we hear and people say and I totally relate is that you feel like you lose yourself when you're going through this kind of journey this fertility journey and I always help or, or hope to support people in rediscovering the new versions of themselves rather than, you know, because you, will, you, you won't be the same after you've been through this. And that's also sort of normal because we're always evolving and all of that. Mm. So actually, if we can almost reframe that kind of intimacy and like, let's get to know each other again, like who we are now, because we're always evolving, then it's kind of adding a whole other element to that idea of yeah that lovely honeymoon thing maybe there's a maybe there's like a new moon stage where it's a new version of you and it's a new version of me and let's you know let's get to know each other that's quite an abstract (laughs) thought that I've had there but it's just I think I think it's all about connection isn't it and like finding out where the other person's at right now yeah and also the disappointment you know we can be we can miss what sex used to be be like I used to enjoy sex and now it's just something that you know I can't think about it without it being attached to the pain or attached to the loss or you know we can kind of mourn our old sex life which used to be carefree for lots of people we never used to have to think about sex and now we can't not think about it you know there's I'm kind of analyzing it you know, every time we have sex, I'm thinking, is this the time? I'm trying to work out as my, you know, how am I feeling? Or like, shall I lie in this position? Or what time is it? There's so much that we become so hyper aware of when we're trying to conceive. And also just physically being affected by what you're going through. You know, if you are, mm. if you are in treatment, being pumped full of hormones and injections, you're going to feel differently and your body's going to feel differently. So again, I guess having like that acceptance that that's probably going to have an impact on on how you feel about sex is useful because it kind of takes off that level of shame or you know failure that you might then add on to like oh god I can't even have a sex you know my uh, yeah. feeling like that as well kind of thing and it can feel a bit like a bomb's gone off in your relationship and there's something you know you were so united about wanting this thing and wanting this life and you've thought about it and imagined it and fantasized about it and then you know everything felt so good and now it feel so shit quite honestly sometimes you just think oh god how how are we ever going to get back I can't even remember who we used to be I can't even remember what we were before this and 
you know, this is some of the hardest stuff that we can go through. You know, it's going to challenge your relationship, both with yourself and your partner to the end and back, because it's a roller coaster for mm. most people. And it's really hard to then find yourself in that. And I think conversations, you know, like you have on your podcast and things, they're all relatively new, you know, even as much as, you know, our parents' generation, we're not really talking about infertility. We're not really talking about miscarriage. We're not kind of talking about assisted conception or, you know, when they were, it was rare. I remember my mum, you know, saying something about a friend years and years and years ago. This was, oh no, she 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 can't she can't have babies because she can't have children. And that was it. There was no other like, but why and how is she and what what, mm. what are they and also he like what's the background and story and everything is just not it just wasn't there. But what now it is, which is great. But then I feel like the sex part is almost like the new. It's not new for you. It's what you do as your job. Mm. <laughs> but for me, I'm like right come on, it's time to talk about this properly and make sure that people are getting the support that they need and that there's that shame and stuff is is eradicated and made normal, as you say, to like normalise conversations around it, which is what you do on your podcast, mm. which is so brilliant, and the book that you released in September. So tell me a bit more about the book and what people can find in there. So the book is called The Science of Sex and it's over 100 of the most asked questions about sex and relationships. So it's a Q&A format with the most up-to-date research, statistics. Um, we had an amazing illustrator and it covers the kind of biology, psychology and social parts of sex. So my work as a psychosexual therapist is what we call approaching sex with a biopsychosocial lens, which is understanding those different parts and how they're all interacting because it's just not enough to look at sex through just biology, just psychology, just through a social lens. And, you know, I, I think infertility is the perfect example, trying to conceive is the perfect example because the meaning of sex changes and that changes how we feel about it. And it's the perfect example of how the act might still be the same, but everything else about it is different. When we can have these conversations, we're always trying to say, okay, but this is not just about something that you do. It's about how you feel about it and how you think about it. And those things then have an impact on how you do it. And your mind obviously impacts your body and your body impacts your mind. And, you know, we have to understand it in this more holistic way. What led you to your interest in it all? How, how did you, I'm just really intrigued. Like, how did you find yourself in this world? I've always known that I would be some kind of, psychologist therapist um and it was almost kind of process of elimination of elimination I almost I was starting studying and then I started kind of moving towards the kind of evolutionary side of it and realized that having the conversations about sex and relationships didn't feel that odd and were pretty interesting and didn't bring anything really difficult up in terms of me like having the conversations but also I always had the sense that this was the thing kind of behind the door that nobody wanted to talk about, but there was this big knock-on effect of that, you know, affecting couples and families and people. And I started my training as a psychosexual therapist, and then I became um, a relationship therapist because I wanted to combine those two things. And then my training has kind of gone on from there in terms of um, I trained as a psychosexologist and then I'm now actually doing a diploma in gender, sexual relationship diversity. So again, kind of trying to tie all of these things in together mm. so that you have a, you know, as much as is possible, kind of comprehensive view of sex. And every day I learn something from every person that I work with. Like there is no way of knowing everything. 
it's so mad that everybody does it most people do it but we don't really know that much about it or that we did like I find that quite exciting so I think oh there's like this whole world of information and research and resources and cool stuff that I can learn about that is probably going to have a really positive impact on a huge part of my life and a huge part of people who are going through this their their life and that's what I think is you know part of my work with the life raft is to always kind of say to people there's there's always, there's going to be something so whatever you're looking for there are people out there like you who are literally spending their lives like researching and getting interested in it and having so many conversations about it and they're going to know some really important bits that you can kind of apply to uh, what you're going through. One of the questions that came through was basically, and we sort of covered it, but it's that emotional and physical exhaustion from everything that you're going through. The thought of having sex is just not exciting. So when you are feeling like that emotionally and physically exhausted by everything, where can we go with that? What do we do with that? For a start, give yourself a break. Like it is emotionally and physically exhausting. I think normalizing that, you shouldn't have to tell yourself that you feel fine or that you feel okay. One of the things I'd say is this is about desire. So when we talk about desire, we mean the kind of motivation for sex. So the kind of wanting to move towards sex or wanting to initiate sex or have sex. And we also understand that now a lot of what we were taught about desire is wrong and that desire can also be responsive, which means that we start something and the desire emerges in response to what we've started. So we just can talk about it sometimes as the desire to continue. So this responsive desire is particularly common in long-term relationships and also for women. When we think about that, we're like, okay, so what do I want to get at? You know, what do I think I can get out of this experience? And this also explains why we experience this real drop in desire when we're going through anything which means that we're not enjoying sex or it's causing us discomfort or pain or because when that meaning of sex changes it's not something that we want to repeat we don't want to repeat these negative experiences and so we can understand then why we feel no desire or we feel like we no longer want to have sex or um, are motivated to to have sex it kind of goes back to some of the earlier points we made, which is try to just focus on the immediate thing. So whether that's kissing or a hug or physical contact or just sitting or talking or having whatever it is, just having a cuddle in bed together. Try not to get too ahead of yourself because when we make that jump and we think, okay, but if we just kiss, then it's going to lead to sex. And we always think, oh, it's going to lead to sex or he's going to want to have sex and then I'm going to have to let him down or I'm going to have to disappoint and I don't want to do that. And I know that she's going to want to have sex if we start something like that. These are the kind of thoughts that we all have. And this is relates to the mind reading thing and trying to just contain those experiences for what they are. Focus on just that rather than getting so ahead of yourself and we'll always be able to find a reason to not have sex. We'll always be like a bit too tired or have too much to do. And that that's a general rule across all sex lives, not just specifically the kind of group of people that we're talking about. And I think just allowing yourself to be kind of close with your partner if that's what you're looking for, but it not having to be going somewhere. I think is an important thing to try and think about because what then tends to happen is we try and eliminate the possibilities and actually 
sometimes what we might notice is that we are feeling really close and we are feeling really good or we do start to feel desire. But at the start, it's kind of a cold start. We're unlikely to say, yeah, I want to have sex right now. But what we might do in giving ourselves the opportunity is start to feel like actually we do want to lean into something more. So it's all about taking the pressure off, isn't it? Yes. Instantly makes sense when you (laughs) think about it. But we can't often get there when we're kind of often it just becomes like just this huge block doesn't it so we can't really think about it logically when you don't have that perspective but actually having this conversation is like yeah if there's no pressure there and just seeing where it's led but also the communication piece because if it's if it's not if that communication isn't there in the first place then you're going to not want to do it for all of those reasons we feel pressure when it's goal orientated and if the goal is um conception or trying to get pregnant and we feel like we're constantly failing because it's, you know, a pass or fail approach if something's goal orientated. None of us like failing repeatedly at anything. You know, it doesn't make us feel good. It doesn't make us want to repeat the experience. It doesn't make us feel open. Of course, we're going to start to feel negatively. It's the meaning that sex takes on. And I know that's something I've said a few times, but that becomes the overarching aspect of it rather than the kind of act of what we're doing you know because it becomes representative of what we might not be getting or we might not be achieving or we might not be I say succeeding at in kind of inverted commas because that's how that's how people describe it how people feel that's why we then don't want to move towards that thing because it's making us feel making us feel bad making us feel sad you know having a negative impact on us emotionally and psychologically Oh, it's so helpful to think of it like that, isn't it? And recognize that why these things are happening, like going with that one, just even one layer underneath all of this, like so, mm. so helpful. Okay, so just to kind of conclude, like what do you think would be, and this is always a really hard question to ask people, <laughs> but what would be your kind of number one thing that you'd say to somebody going through this, struggling with their sex life, just not quite knowing what the next step is to make it better? one um, <laughs> okay well I'll, I'll do a I'll cheat and kind of put if you one you're not alone problems with people's sex lives are so common the lack of conversation the lack of it being normalized is going to make you feel like you're the only one but you're not and I can tell you I know so many psychosexual therapists who are also oversubscribed with waiting lists you know with huge demands for this work for this help Please don't not go and get any help or advice because you feel that way, because you feel ashamed or isolated in your experience. It's the most common response to struggling with sex, I would say, and it can be really damaging. So please, there are some brilliant um, sexologists and psychosexual therapists and sex experts on social media, on Instagram, who have podcasts, you have books. Resource yourself, like go and start listening to some of those conversations because it's a way for you to start thinking about sex differently without having to do anything. You know, you can listen to a podcast like on your commute. There's no pressure for you to act. And I think so often we think if we need to change our sex lives, we need to act. Whereas actually there's a stage before that, which is just listening to people have the conversations in a different way. And that can make you feel so much better. If the next stage of that is getting help or advice, please get it. Go to your GP, find a psychosexual therapist. Um, gynecologist whoever it is lots of fertility clinics now will also have 
um, links to therapists or counsellors to support you. And try and talk about it with your partner. So try and sit down with your partner. And if you've been building yourself up to the conversation and you feel they don't respond initially in that moment, just give them a chance to catch up with you because you've gone over it in your head. You've kind of got yourself ready for it. And they're a step behind a lot of the time. And you can also say, you can tee up the conversation and say, do you think that we could talk about sex maybe tomorrow or this week? You can also kind of give them a bit of a lead up as well and acknowledge that it might feel hard or tricky or awkward. You know, sometimes we can laugh about it and you know, sometimes the dark humour, like we talked about earlier, is the thing that can kind of get us through. But it's not something we're used to having to talk about, particularly with our partners. And again, kind of knowing that that's a normal part of it and can be a really tricky part of it, I think is a really good thing. But your partner can't know what's going on for you and you can't know what's going on for them unless you talk about it. So helpful, Kate. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, one thing was definitely not enough, those steps. <laughs> I mean, I've got about 10. But, but that's good because what it did, like it helps, doesn't it? To just sometimes you think, oh God, well, how do I get from there to there? But actually, I love what you said there about, um, you know, actually there's a stage before having to actually do anything, which is just, mm-hmm. just take a moment, like meet yourself where you're at that whole let's just see this as a little bit of a project and start at the beginning and just take it easy and yeah that number one bit you're not alone is so so key and crucial as well thank you thank you thank you for your time it's been amazing um you have a great book science of sex which is out now you have your website you have your podcast which is the sexual wellness sessions is that what it's called Sorry. yes have like a the horrible mind like but yeah that's correct and people can find you on instagram as well and your kate moyle but i'll put all the links in the show notes and everything as well but huge thank you for your time thank you I really, really loved this conversation with Kate and I really hope you did too. So please do remember to grab your free five minute meditation, fertilityliferaft.com forward slash reset. So you uh, receive my emails this week with Kate's extra bonus sex info, which we didn't have time to cover in the podcast and was a bit too full of words, which Instagram doesn't apparently think are appropriate for a collaboration post. Hence our secret extra email which you can receive from me this week so take care everyone and remember rate review and subscribe to support this little podcast and help more people get the conversations that they really really do need to hear thank you so much take care